Hey everybody, this is Chris Hortolano with Outbound Edge and SalesStack. Really excited to kick off this Shift Happens webinar workshop uh, after the demo value stories because we want to essentially give you the skills, the building blocks to create something new out of a lot of the marketing content that you currently have. Um, before we kind of dive into this, we want to you know lay out the, the table a little bit and let you know that we have some very special guests who I'll be introducing soon as well as some polling questions down at the bottom. Uh, you, the audience, are encouraged to join us. We're gonna be treating you as really um, active members of the audience because we want you to walk away with some takeaways. We'll be using a presentation tool called Slide Tech to actually give you access to the deck with some opportunity to take notes in real time. Um, if there's anybody out there who wants to you know, chime in, please do use the chat bar. Uh, it's great to see Art Jones, uh, my colleague, and partner in sort of this mind mapping, brainstorming, collaboration shift that he and I are actively pursuing, as well as Christian uh, Trent's in the audience. Will we bring him up soon? And uh, one of our very special guests, uh, Megan Miziak, who was at Movable Inc. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, invite Megan to join us real quick. She can give a little bit of her backstory and then we'll kick this off with Trent Anderson as soon as I get him on the screen. Megan, I'm gonna send you uh, that invite and have you join. Uh, and then we'll kind of tee up this concept of quick wins, what we can do to warm up our storytelling and value driver hats. Hey, Megan, where are you uh, live streaming from today? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Snowed yesterday, but everything's looking fresh and bright. So keep keeping warm. It sounds like a winter wonderland. Now, do tell me what the concept of value drivers are. I know you've talked about it, we've chatted, but some of us in the audience may not really understand that concept. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, I currently, I think about three months ago, went into consulting, but for the past four years, I've helped um, MarTech organizations, so B2B sales teams, really transform the way that they sell. And one of the easiest ways, the first things that I do is to ask them about their value drivers. And a lot of times um, when I come into an organization, these aren't very well defined or they're very, very specific. So um, I know we'll talk a lot about these, but um, I always ask people, one of the easiest ways to uncover pain and real value is to simplify the value so that it's, um, it's really easy for reps to present and it actually addresses pain, challenges, and goals from multiple stakeholders. So this, um, I know one thing that, that we were talking about is how we actually carried that through to the client experience team when COVID hit, because it's really, it's really easy for reps to kind of um, abandon sales strategies when we're in a healthy market. But when COVID hit, we were freaking out, right? We didn't want to lose any clients. And so one thing we did was to carry the concept of value drivers into the client experience. Let's team. hold that up one second. I do want you to explain more, but at first I want, I want to get Trent Anderson on the screen. Sure. Yeah, Trent is our other special guest today, uh, and he is the chief operating officer at a company <laughs> called Prewrite. Uh, Trent, how's it going? It's going very well. Broadcasting live from uh, suburban Chicago, where it's about 54 degrees today, which we will take as a bonus. <laughs> is it also a winter wonderland? No, no, we have uh, like spring-like atmosphere today, so we're enjoying. So I'm in, in Portland, Oregon. So we essentially have all three, you know, tech centers uh, represented. We have a global audience as well. Um, and I think one of the things that everyone's struggling with is, you know, what is a story in sort of the business context, Trent? 
you were uh, talking earlier uh, on LinkedIn. I saw you were talking about video and now you're actually producing videos. Yeah. Can you tell us what video and, and storytelling are doing for you right now? Yeah, I, I think storytelling makes uh, the accessibility of emotional change in a business context uh, that much more powerful, especially today. I mean, Megan already mentioned all of the great things and not so great things COVID has brought to uh, a new sales force, right? And uh, how do you get from knocking on people's doors uh, to you know transforming your sales uh, go-to-market strategy in order to, to continue to drive value um, and, and increase revenue? And I think video, I think storytelling um, are two very important tools that uh, can be quite intimidating for those that are uninitiated. So what we're trying to do at Prewrite is make the whole concept of storytelling more accessible uh, across the, the revenue operations landscape. Okay, we're gonna really kind of look into story as a framework, but then I wanna swing back to Megan, because she offered a quick win, which I think is pretty fascinating, which is that you did something with your, was it the customer success team to kind of pin down some of these value drivers at Movable Inc? Yeah, so when COVID hit, um, the focus really shifted from telling stories to win business with prospects to um, how can we actually tell the stories of our customers in a way that protects our contracts? Because a lot of the times our champions knew the value, but when you're working in MarTech, anyone else who works in MarTech knows that attribution is not always crystal clear. So when the CFO asked the, the CMO, the head, director of marketing, why are we investing all this money into Movable Inc? We wanted it to be crystal clear. So what we did was just help them tell that story in a way that was really consistent and that proved the value and it had a yeah. dramatic impact. And you've, you've characterized four categories, if you will, of value drivers that were relevant to you and to your customers as a consultant now. I'd like to also reach out to the audience and ask them to take the first poll question, which is what's your primary value driver? And there's four, four choices there. Uh, Trent, Megan, maybe you can you know, address this from either your perspective or your customer's perspective. Are you increasing efficiency, improving the brand experience, accelerating revenue, reducing risk, or maybe it's a combination. You know, that's where it gets really interesting. But there's usually something that you and your internal champion can start to highlight and focus on. Megan, the internal champion concept is really how you and I first met because you published something on LinkedIn, which caught my eye about essentially enabling and empowering the internal champion. Can you kind of define that for some folks in the audience who may not be familiar with this concept? Yeah, so um, I love that you ask that as well, because so many times we use the term champion and we don't actually define what that means. So a lot of times we think we're working with a champion or we think that a champion is really enabled to be a champion. But unless you're actually um, developing champions or in assessing them in three key areas, then you're probably not doing everything you could. So a champion is someone who has power and influence within the organization who your solution is a personal win for so you can get them promoted it actually makes them re look really good within the organization um, so that they actually care and the third and the one that you can most impact through stories is their ability and willingness to sell for you within the organization unless you're i think nick mattson might be on this call unless you're selling to salespeople like uh, his company does 
it can be really tricky because our champions are not salespeople. So if you can help them develop that story, I'm really excited to hear more of Trent's um, ways to develop the, the elements of a story. If you can do that, then you're better enabling them to help you sell. Yeah, we definitely have some salespeople on the call. I know Jonathan Davis is with us. Um, and so feel free to chime in, John, if you have some ideas about how to empower and enable the champion. My next question is for Trent, which is how can stories empower or enable these internal champions? These are different kind of vehicles. It's not slide decks. It's not white papers. What do you want your champions to do with these stories? Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's really important. And Megan brought it up. Uh, we've moved kind of from a sales enablement world and mindset to more of a buyer enablement mindset. And I think one of the most powerful tools that we have to unlock that buyer enablement, um, which comprises some of the champions and some of the internal stakeholders is, is story. And there are four like key components that we look at with story. And we'll dive into these in, in deeper uh, meaning here. But there's context, there's characters, there's challenge. And then there's also the hero, right? Um, so as far as like quick wins are concerned, I think one of the most important uh, and easiest to orient for salespeople um, is the concept of characters. And typically when we, when we think about characters, we're, we're thinking about some of the archetypes, right? Prospects can fall into many different buckets, champions, supporters, cheerleaders, what have you. Um, and I think what's really important for, for folks to unpack is what does your character want and what does your character need? And what your character wants typically comes through uh, like an outcome oriented um, conversation. Whereas what your character needs uh, actually ends up being what we call a meta outcome. And it's really uh, a nice additional layer to understand their, their driving motivations uh, and some of the things that uh, you can actually extract out and, and then build a story uh, around uh, those those meta outcomes as well. So- I love this. You've introduced yeah. some tension already, which is really the purpose of shift. Uh, one of the things I'm going to do is drop the link to our slide tech uh, presentation software and special guests. Would you would you both um, go ahead and open that? I want to make sure that you can access the presentation. If not, I, I may have to refresh the, the mode. What we're going to do, audience, is walk you through about eight slides and you're going to have a chance to take notes using this URL. It's a free tool. You just enter your name, your email address, and you'll get a copy of these notes at the end of this. So you can start to really implement what it is we're talking about in a kind of a step-by-step -step way. As Art says, stories work because they're relatable, memorable, and repeatable. Absolutely. I think that stories are like a form of currency, you know, the concept of the gift that keeps on giving, right? That's something you can just share with people and it's full of meaning. Megan, are we in uh, slide tech? Did you get access? Yeah, I did. I'm in, so should okay, have Trent, are you in? I am uh, booting it up right now. Okay, it looks like I see the number of attendees in. And we're on the first slide right now, which is essentially doing a comparison, if you will, between the product pitch, which many of us have given and received, uh, which feels canned and prescriptive. And it's also like a one-way conversation. And I think that does tend to leave the audience feeling uh, as if something's lacking. And the value story can in fact be more collaborative, potentially diagnostic, and a two-way conversation. Uh, Megan, when you're working with your, your customers, what's the first thing that you try to get them to do to move away from that one-way sort of product focus into more of a collaborative or two-way kind of a conversation? Oh, man, this is my, one of my favorite questions um, because I think that um, it, it's so hard for reps to get out of this. Um, for anyone who uses a tool like Gong or 
forest conversation intelligence, I think it's really easy to see it because often when you have a discovery call, if this is the call, you see that there's a really, really big block of talking, right? It's like the first 10 minutes of a call are just the rep regurgitating the same story over and over. And the, you can just see that their focus, like the client's focus just going and then like they start typing. And so one of the easiest ways to do that is actually to just ask them how the story compares to their, their own. And to actually have um, regular intervals, like maybe you talk for a few seconds, you tell a quick element of the story and then ask them, it's almost like choose your own adventure, right? To make sure that the rest of the story makes sense, you actually ask them, like maybe you have, you, you say three ways, you use the value drivers, you, you say, hey, these are the typical three ways or four ways that we deliver value. I'm curious for your team, like how would you prioritize these or which is the most important to you? How are you measuring these today? And where would you like to see the most improvement? So just I love it. You're giving choices. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good way to make sure that the conversation is actually a conversation. I, th I think this is a perfect kind of segue into our next slide, which is, you know, we can start to define um, a particular type of story. And for this particular event, I, you know, chose the concept of encountering the incumbent. Um, I think many of us shy away from this scenario. I hear it all the time. They, they already have a competing product. We can't engage them because they're satisfied with X. And then the opportunity stays open because you have a champion on the inside who's still kind of rooting for you. You're like, oh yeah, if I can just get one other guy to you know join the party. Um, and so I wanted to kind of hone in on this as a value story. Trent, does this make sense to you, this encountering the incumbent story? Yeah, I think it happens all the time. And uh, maybe the second most often as opposed to uh, status quo, right? And how we overcome the status quo with story. But we'll, we'll stick with uh, the incumbent for sure. Okay. Um, so, you know, what happens when that usually occurs? A, a good rep is going to start to know the account, right? And do some research on the stakeholders and evaluate the incumbent to consider their experience. But I think there's more to it. Megan, what, what else do, do you do uh, when there's, you've got to start to craft a strategy around this incumbency, especially if a few people are not happy. Go ahead. Oh man, I think there's like five things I want to dig into there. But I think that the thing that I found to be most impactful, I use a standard account research form. And I think a lot of times people do the basics, right? They look into, okay, what tech are you using? And they look into just some general company information five minutes before. But I think there's two things that I always encourage reps to, to go further into when it comes to research and meeting preparation in general, which is first, are you actually formulating hypotheses around how the value drivers would apply to this company? So many times, like if we're just doing some value mapping in advance, it can turn from, let me just throw 15 solutions at them and see if any of them stick to how, what does driving revenue mean to this organization? Or what does efficiency mean? And how can I even go into their investor relations pages or 10K financial report and actually form some hypotheses and, and have some things to talk about where I can see some of their pain, their challenges, even going into their website, depending on what you do and, and seeing what they're doing today. Instead of preparing your presentation for five hours, 
spend one hour researching and forming hypotheses and it will help you ask better questions and not have to throw 15 things at them. Yeah, I think a good example of that is what you and I and Trent did where I threw up a Venn diagram and we just started typing in some notes together and it was a ballpark kind of a exercise to see if we were anywhere near a similar concept of ideas. And it, it was based on some research that I had done. Uh, but I think that reps tend to do all or nothing. They'll write a term paper or they'll just phone it in. Mm -hmm. I actually really like that because it's like they'll either just ask a very standard questions so and like show up with a with a blank notepad or they'll almost overly prepare and try to you know simulate every single thing and yeah it's easy to just do um to spend more time researching and forming hypotheses versus preparing like all of the potential things that they might be interested in so trent let's say we were like a screenwriter and we were going to make a little film about this business right mm -hmm. um christian earlier on LinkedIn had said, well, there's a couple different ways to kind of start brainstorming, if you will. And he talked about jotting ideas down. I commented and said, I like to draw pictures. Mm -hmm. You know, how can we tap into that more creative side in terms of forming the hypothesis with story as a little bit of our vehicle? Uh, do you use other types of stories? I actually use nursery rhymes. Uh, yeah. I'm a fan of the three bears. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The three bears are a good one. Um, there's a methodology called the three rooms, which was actually uh, used by the founder of uh, Zora. And if you're familiar with Andy Raskin, he's the um, strategic narrative guy. And he dubbed Zora's pitch deck as the uh, best pitch deck they'd ever seen ever. Um, so if you, if you want to check out like this three rooms methodology for creativity, I highly recommend that. We'll probably put that link in the show notes. Yeah, um, that's the Zora deck, which yes. has you know, talks about a shift in the marketplace, correct? Correct, correct. Yeah, and, and actually I really like how Megan frames up the uh, concept of hypothesis. And I'm actually gonna tell a little quick story about some work that we did uh, using hypotheses. So we were uh, helping uh, an organization sell a Me Too product into the financial planning and analysis department. Uh, we had our, our site set on a contact, uh, she was, uh, looking to make a name for herself, one of her outcomes would be saving about 25% on their freight shipping, right? So that's great. They already had somebody that was saving them 22.5%. Uh, that's that's good, not good enough, right? So when we started looking into who she reported to, uh, we found that her direct report uh, was someone that looked like they were about uh, of age of retirement, right? So in our kind of discovery with this individual, uh, we asked the outcome questions, of course, you know, what would the extra two and a half percent in cost savings from freight shipping look like? Uh, but that's just outcomes. What about the meta outcomes? You know, what if you could accomplish this, what would that mean for, for you in, in a trajectory perspective? She said, well, uh, my boss is actually retiring in six months. And if this is something that we can we can accomplish, it would look really good to the head of the business unit that we were able to accomplish another two and a half percent. So then we took that hypothesis uh, created a story together with with this individual uh, actually wrapped the boss up into this as well, because this was his parting gift to the organization who he loyally served for 15 years. Uh, and together we were able to to wrap all of this up into uh, a nice win, uh, both outcomes as well as meta outcomes for for this individual. So so it's um, really about collaborating to co-create the, the deck and the story as it gets moved up and throughout the food chain. It's perfect. Correct. Correct. 
So I'd like to encourage our audience to take a few notes here about what they're going to do in terms of not over-preparing, but trying to collaborate, if you will, and provide some early slides, even a canvas, that kind of suggests how your, your champion can help you to tell that better story, to hone in on these concepts of the value drivers, which we're gonna look at, uh, to create context. So Megan, you know, you've called out these four key value drivers. Um, and I think each one of them has a hypothesis associated with it, which I've called out on this slide, uh, essentially that something is missing, right? There's a gap analysis and you want them to kind of further define what that gap is so that they can tell you how they might solve the problem. Yeah, and this is really valuable because um, I think for so many of us as sellers, we get frustrated when we, we feel like the client, we, we find something out later. And um, the client's frustrated because like, I'm sorry, you asked me such a broad question. How was I supposed to give an answer? When you ask like, what are your goals? That's extremely broad. And so if they can't really understand the context or understand what, what types of goals we're talking about, they might not give a full response. And so in order to actually maximize and diversify the value, in your minds for clients. And when I say diversify, making it more broadly appealable um, to um, multiple stakeholders with an organization. So even if you're selling to more of a technical resource or a lower level manager, making sure that you're helping them map that to what those different stakeholders, more of the decision makers will be interested in. Yeah, so I'm gonna come up with a, a phrase, which is uh, probe for story, not just for pain. Yeah. And um, I really like that as well, because when we first rolled out value drivers, um, we started, we really thought about what was the story that we wanted to tell, because a lot of times for us, we were working with, with um, marketers and a lot of uh, their pushback was, we know what we need to do, but we just, we can't, we don't have the tools that, um, <laughs> that we need. And so one thing that we started with saying like, hey, the goal for all of our clients is revenue. Even if you're a nonprofit, you're looking to increase donations typically. But my CEO actually pushed me a bit on that. He challenged me. He's like, well, what do you think about actually telling a story of our clients? And with the value drivers saying, hey, the first thing that we normally do with our clients is to increase efficiency through automation. Because we know that you likely want to do more strategic initiatives around brand value and ultimately to increase revenue, but your bandwidth is usually the first thing that the, and the biggest barrier to solve. So we, we actually told a story and, and swapped our value drivers, even in the way we, we talked about them, to, um, to actually handle objections and to release those fears that a lot of clients have. Because so many times we're like, these are the ways that we we drive value, but they have so many um, buts in their mind, right? But I don't have time for that, but I already tried that, but like, oh, they don't understand. And so actually by even thinking about how are you presenting that value and what does the typical client that you work with, how are they actually realizing that value? So yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna dive into that actual process. Megan, you and I have talked about the, how do we say, ineffectiveness of buzzwords and how we <laughs> Ling them around like frisbees and baseballs all day. And if we were to replace those with a story theme, I want to ask our audience to lean into the second question here. 
what is your brand story in a sort of a meta sense? Are you in fact transforming the hero or are you conquering the enemy? Maybe you're collaborating or maybe you're working to summit the tallest peaks. I think that meta message, if you will, can help your customer and you start to collaborate because you know which path you're going to start going down before you throw up all these buzzwords, which are kind of buzz kills, in my opinion. Trent, do you think this is true? Am I, am I suggesting something realistic? Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And I can talk about another experience that I had. Uh, fifth employee at a marketing agency, we grew a ton. Uh, our original kind of tagline was integrated marketing and development. And how, how buzzwordy is that? What's integrated? What's marketing? What's development? Uh, then we kind of changed our, our thesis into we build empires. And then all of a sudden that that three letter or that three word uh, kind of tagline, if you will, planted a, a story in our prospects head saying, well, I, I want to build my own empire. If these guys are on the same singular mission that I am. Uh, we're part of the same tribe. And that's one of the great things that the story can do is it can introduce uh, very, very different groups uh, and all kind of put them under the same umbrella, all marching towards the same uh, common goal, whatever goal that is. Yeah, I want to be in your tribe. I want to yep. build this new empire together. I think um, there's a lot more value in that message than the latest list of, you know, whiz bang features and benefits. Yep. So let's dive into this. We've got about a little bit more than a half an hour to kind of drill into what, what we want our audience to do. So audience, roll up your sleeves. I'm going to go ahead and kind of peel into this theme of efficiency. Uh, you've encountered the incumbent. You have a champion, but the status quo feels kind of difficult to move. It's the end of the year. You know that contract is expiring. There's an opportunity there to start working with some of these value story elements. Uh, we've listed a couple value drivers. We've, we're talking about story, and we're going to talk about scenarios and business drivers as well to do what? To improve process. Megan, this is clearly a goal for many companies, but some intangibles are retaining top talent, decreasing expense, and also increasing revenue. Megan, is this the way you start thinking about story? Do you start looking at the other elements to kind of set the stage? Yeah, so um, because my background is in training and enablement, um, one of my favorite ways to help reps think about this is actually to, um, to do an exercise to, to lead them to value drivers. Because one of the uh, pushbacks that I get is, my client's a special snowflake, their goals are different than this. And so I actually, before I talk to them about value drivers, I ask them, what are the, what are the things that clients are trying to achieve? And we, we whiteboard it. And then I'm like, hmm, there seem to be some similar themes here, right? If I could like break this into three buckets, what do you think those buckets would be? And they're like, huh, there's some around like time and, and efficiency. And then they're like, oh, there's also a monetary one. Like there's some revenue stuff here. And I'm like, okay, interesting, interesting. And um, then I actually have them, I'm like, okay, well, these are what we call value drivers. But taking it a step further, I loved what Arthur said about really like the symptoms and root issues. There's another game once you understand the value drivers to ask, so what? Like efficiency, people want to save time. So what? What does that mean for them? And just asking them, it's a frustrating game because we like when we throw out buzzwords, it's because we think that people understand them. We think that they're intuitive. We use them because we think that it makes us sound smart 
and that the industry will respect us and will sound credible by using them, but no one wants to admit that it's not real, right? So in terms of so what, one of my favorite stories was we were doing this exercise and we were talking about efficiency because efficiency does not mean anything. It's a term that like CEOs and CFOs use. But when we actually turn it from operational efficiency means that instead of working 15 hours a day over the holidays, marketers can actually spend time with their family. And that that really means something to them. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can simplify it using another kind of nursery rhyme. Um, you know, maybe it's the the gal who's spun the straw to gold. Uh, is that uh, I forget that the nursery rhyme. Yeah. I can't. But, um, yeah, I can't remember. But the concept is, you know, yeah. pull out a copy of Grimm's fairy tales uh, because that's the kind of information that I can absorb. I don't have a lot of brain space to take your laundry list of features and your deck. I can take little snippets, little stories, if you will, and then we can start to align on what these value drivers are. I love, Megan, the way you ask them to tell you, the same way you can ask your customers to tell you what is it about the value that you're trying to drive right now. So Trent, I need you to kind of characterize the, the classic sort of hero's journey, because I yeah. know that many of us have seen these movies, we've read these books, and we are consumers of the hero's journey as defined by William Campbell, uh, Joseph Campbell, pardon me, yeah. Joseph Campbell. But many of us don't know how to create these stories because we're so busy binge watching at night and TikToking all day. Um, what do we need to think about in just terms of narrative structure? Yeah, yeah. Joe Campbell in and of itself, uh, if you study the hero's journey, it might be like a 200 or 300 level course if we were to compare it to college. I think if we just reduce storytelling down to four kind of main main topics, um, again, we have context, we have character, we have challenges, and then ultimately we have the hero. Uh, and, and context kind of sets the stage, right? It puts us in the scene. Um, what do we see? What do we uh, feel? What do we what do we smell? What do we hear? Um, and and I think a great example would be it's it's Q4. Uh, you can hear the the pounding on the keyboard in the bullpen. Uh, you can you can smell uh, your boss lighting up their jewel in their office because of their stress smoking, right? Like whatever that is, you can start to set the scene. Uh, and I, that's a personal experience of mine, by the way. Um, it's a good but, one. It, but it really makes us. It puts us in. Um, it puts us in a story, right? And so often, that's the first step. Where where can I see myself? Um, so we're like we're associating a memory, uh, we're associating uh, the story with something that we've experienced. So so that's kind of part one. Part two would then be the character. We've already talked about uh, wants versus needs, and I think there's a really um, interesting way of flipping a lot of that. And Megan touched on this a little bit in terms of the meta outcome of hey, marketers, you can actually spend holidays with with your family this year, right? Um, so like the, the question you always ask is like, well, what's your goal? Right. And that's, that's always first. And then the second one comes with, and what will that allow you to do? And then that drive starts to drive more so towards, uh, the meta outcomes that we described. Um, and then, you know, your, your litany of NLP related questioning, how will you know you've achieved that, um, under what circumstances will you, will you achieve this goal? And I think one thing that, that's really important is what other characters are going to be along with you uh, on that journey, right? So 
is this are you the sole uh survivor in this scenario or do you have to carry your team along with you um you know how do we how do we really um paint the picture for for what that future outcome looks like uh, and then another great question to ask is what resources do you need in order to achieve this goal so again this can kind of come down to um, i need approval from a certain stakeholder um, i need uh, some sort of uh, external event to happen in order for us to get budget approved whatever um, and then ultimately like leaving them with the question like well how are you going to get there and that how are you going to get there transfers the responsibility of you as the seller onto the potential buyer to think about how am I going to get there? What is uh, my journey in order to achieve the outcome uh, that I want to, to have? And, Can I pause uh, for a second? Yeah. Yeah. By the way. So I want to throw a curveball to both of you. I'll ask you both the same question, starting with Megan. Um, I think that sellers need to also shift into problem solving mode. Uh, where you take your product out of the conversation and you say, well, this car is really not running very well. Uh, I'm a tire dealer, but it might need more. It might need oil. It might need a tune-up. It might need a transmission. We don't know. No. Um, and in order to do that, there's a certain vulnerability, if you will, a certain mystery. Um, and you see that in great movies, right? So the Star Wars series is all about uncertainty, doubt. Any great film has this sort of backstory where the, the hero is lost, if you will and tries to find his or her way through the woods and you know meets the guide. And I think a lot of times the seller tries to be the hero. Like, mm -hmm. I will save your day. When in fact, the seller needs to be the guide <laughs> and the customer needs to step up and say, okay, with your assistance, I will have these superpowers to transform. And I think sellers really need to kind of know how to pause, you know, hit the pause button and allow the customer to move into that hero space, if you will. Otherwise, it pushes people away. And I, you know, it's what, 80, 20 out there, 80% are just telling you they're going to fix your 20% are saying, Oh, maybe we should rethink this. I don't know. That problem doesn't quite sound right. Megan, what are your thoughts? Are you seeing this transition to storytelling and problem solving? Or is it something we need to work on? Yeah, so I actually I have a, a bit different of a perspective on it. Good. Um, I actually see a, a bigger issue because I think a lot of times early in the sales process, it's like we're almost, instead of embarking on the journey with our clients, we're actually only like, we're, we're creating the map, right? And it's really easy for our clients to say, oh yeah, I wanna be here and to just like draw a map. And it's much different when we actually are taking them and saying, let's start on this path. Because when the going gets tough and when they're looking at this huge mountain that they have to go through, because our normally our buyers also have a full-time job. Their full-time job is a lot of times not to purchase and implement solutions. So when the going gets tough, you have to have the story and the narrative. You have to really have both the pain as well as that aspirational element to remind them where they're going and most importantly to remind them why they can't stay where they are you want to paint a picture like your castle is burning it's not a situation where you can just like you know that little cartoon ah, everything is fine with flames around you you can, you have to actually get them to realize that there's no going back there's no staying they have to embark and you are the guide that's getting them um to that aspirational new castle over the yeah. mountain. So I'm gonna swing the same, thank you very much. I'm gonna swing the same question over to Trent. 
so let's say my champion has realized this, but we're still kind of narrowly um, focused on just defining that as each other. And we haven't branched out to the other stakeholders yet. Mm -hmm. And we know that they have different strengths and weaknesses, but ultimately we're going to have to get the financial lead, the technical lead, the executive lead to all at least understand <laughs> what this little empire we're building is. Even if they're not going to sign off, um, they're going to have to sort of bless and I think that's where a lot of folks start to stumble is they get this story, but it's just monochromatic and they repeat mm -hmm. the same story over and over again. You show up on a CFO and he's like, yeah, I've, I've kind of heard this one before. Um, you know, I've got to publish financial statements. We need to review quarterly and, you know, there's an earnings call next month. What are you doing for me? You know, you can't just roll up with a three bears when he needs that little engine that could. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's where identifying challenges and what is actually at stake uh, really makes the difference between effective stories and and the same old things that have been pitched every every time, right? So when you understand the stakes and the stakes are established uh, by characters as well as the context, uh, that really dictates how big of a problem this actually is or isn't, right? Yeah. And and what kind of uh, crack team or a team you need to assemble in order to make sure. Uh, that what's at stake, um, you know, leads to, to positive results for for the outcome as well as the organization, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, again, having each individual character and then collectively as a team, the, this band of merry men and women uh, assess what actually is at stake uh, makes all the difference in, in advancing opportunities or not. Yeah, and it speaks to having different versions of the same story. You know, uh, Megan, we talked about the Russian doll model where you can pull out a smaller doll or a bigger doll. They're different in size, but they essentially express the same concept. Uh, and you're trying to see which story fits better uh, using that sort of pause, reflect, pause, reflect. I think a lot of storytellers tend to just go from beginning to end. A lot of times when I tell a story, I'll just tell the first part and I'll stop. And I'll wait for them to try and finish the story. I'll tell a little bit more and it gets into that two way. And then they tell me, of course, it's the little engine that could. That's my story. That's the one I need to own. Thank you very much. And I put that in my Russian doll and I go ahead and I collect all these little stories. And then I report back and say, y'all have told me X, Y and Z. And you all have these things in common. Oh, that's why I talk about problem solving and collaboration. It's a different experience, but we have to shift to get into that experience um, rather than stay on script. So so it's that, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I've never used this, um, this analogy as consistently. And it's so powerful because um, I feel like I'm gonna steal it in the future to explain how everything fits together because I think that the best way um, that you know that you've been able to tell that story and that you've actually been capturing the elements of the story is instead of a, or in, in um, as a part of pricing, you should be able to create a business case that is literally the full story. And you should co-author that with your champion. And it, it's funny because it's almost like a checklist. Have you done your, your job in covering all of the elements of the story? And if not, you need to make sure that your champion, like just tap them to co-author it and to actually fill in a little bit more color, a little bit more, um, filling in the gaps and asking every single person that you do interact with to add color. 100%, you have nailed it. And this is the shift we need to make in 2021. Um, I've 
click through the next slide for our audience so that we can actually look at some very basic frameworks that have been published by other folks. So you can do this with your champion. And there's a little icon at the lower right. If you want to sort of, you know, click on the marker button, you can highlight something that's maybe missing. Nick Meta recently published, you know, something very simple, which I, I added to the chat, which is we all have data. It's everywhere. <laughs> we all use spreadsheets to gather that data. Our solution helps you consolidate and you therefore make more money. Like at the root core, probably more than half the products do some version of that story. Well, there's no emotion in there though. I mean, that's kind of the, the chassis of the car. You need to put paint on it. You need to put some cool wheels on it. So Daniel Pink has given us essentially his interpretation of the Pixar pitch, which again, sounds a lot like a nursery rhyme, but he's fleshing out, if you will. And this is the basis for a lot of Disney movies. You can see it once you know that there's this challenge event in the beginning and the family loses the house. And then, you know, the golden bear shows up, what have you. Use that to express the Nick Meta SaaS story and get your, your champion to weigh in there's some there's some fundamentals for our audience that they can actually start to do like tomorrow. Uh, Megan, do you do this kind of exercise with your customers? Uh, do you find that it's helpful to give them some practical templates and worksheets? Go ahead. Yeah, so I think um, I'm not going to lie. I haven't made it as granular and that's why I was actually really excited to have the conversation with you. I feel like I've already learned so much from Trent. And I think the challenges that I've seen in the field are that people don't know how to craft the story. So um, that's actually why it's so challenging because a lot of times marketing resources are just a tiny little snippet of information on a slide. And especially um, from an enablement perspective, if you have new reps coming into the organization that don't have their own stories, they haven't worked with a client for three years, they can't tell that story, you need to really give them at least the tools to understand how the story works so that they can know what questions to ask and that they can know that they have all of the pieces. And for clients, um, I think you know that, that responsibility does get passed on to the marketing team the marketing team should be crafting these stories in this way and making sure that they have all of the elements. So yeah, that I, I agree. And I know Trent is a marketer, but he also uh, is working with a company called Prewrite. And my hunch, Trent, is that you tried you joined Prewrite because you felt like there was a need to sort of normalize this process. Yeah. Um, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about what Prewrite does to make it easier for beginners to kind of start to craft. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, the art of story is, I think, often unaccessible for the masses, right? We think, oh, I can never make a movie like Christopher Nolan. Like, that's way out of my league. I didn't study screenwriting. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a orator. Um, I don't sit around the campfire and cook beans and, you know, trade war stories, right? Um, and, and I think the idea behind pre-write is to make story more accessible. And what do we universally love? Uh, we love templates. We love structure. Structure helps create constraints. So we're not coloring uh, way off into a different universe, but we actually have lines that we're trying to color within. Um, so that, that's what Prewrite's core is. And it's developed from first principles of, of storytelling, which actually date back to Aristotle of all things. And it's credited largely with the first three-act structure. And what is, what is a three-act structure? Right? We don't need to get stuck in jargon, but it's a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
and that that middle that beginning uh, is like a, a point of stasis, right? This is the way things are. This kind of sets table stakes. Here's the context. Here are the characters. Here's a little bit of what we know. The middle uh, represents change, and really, that's all story is: is change. We go from a, a state of uh, neutral, and then something positive or negative happens, and that requires us to change. And that's what happens in in the middle section. And then the end, of course, has a nice uh, you know resolution that brings us back to a point of of stasis or or, or neutrality. So um, pre-write at its core, I mean, is trying to enable uh, that methodology as as often as possible utilizing uh, structure and obviously utilizing templates as well. So we can reach out to you to learn how to essentially translate these technical narratives, yeah. which are expressed in facts and figures, charts and graphs, into something a little bit more snackable, a little bit yeah. easier to find perhaps, so that Absolutely. when we're on a call, we can do a search and like, oh, we've got this story. Um, and to start to weave these stories together, I think is a good uh, kind of time for the audience to chime in. Audience, there is an ask a question button at the bottom, or you can just ask a question in the chat bar because we've got two experts here who can help you to start to lean into your own particular circumstance. If you have a question, I know Ron is here, uh, Christian's here, Julian's here. If you have a story stakeholder, question, please do uh, chime in. Now we're going to take a quick look at this last poll. It does look like the primary stakeholder is essentially the executive leader. It's not the domain leader. I think that's interesting. So at some point, this conversation about moving ahead beyond a legacy solution, displacing the incumbent is going to go up to the C-suite. It's going to go to the C-level and they're going to have to have a narrative because you know what? They don't have time to absorb 25, 50 slides you're going to lose them. And that narrative had better be sort of normalized with your champion because he or she knows that person a lot better than you do. And so you have a golden opportunity to essentially tell a story that suggests that they will also tell you their story too. And that's the art of storytelling is to, to basically switch the channel. And a lot of times the C-suite will in fact tell you their story if you create the scenario to do it. I actually do it every day. But I'll be honest with you, I've worked really hard to do this. Like it's taken me years to be a storyteller. And I don't want people to be discouraged. I want people to have something to do sort of on a next step tomorrow kind of a basis. So we've teed up this last slide, which I think is interesting to view stakeholders, not as targets, not even as members of buying committees, um, but stakeholders as storytellers. Uh, can we in fact work with our stakeholders, Megan, to teach them how to tell a story. What, what's your thought? Is that too aspirational? Am I, am I going out on a cliff here? No, and I actually really loved what you said about, um, you mentioned you know, vulnerability earlier, and I really liked what you were saying about just um, telling the story as a way to get them to tell their story. Because as Trent was talking about um, the beginning, the middle, and the end, so many people are, um, you know, sellers don't like to talk about pain, but do you think that customers even like to talk about their pain as much? Like sometimes they, you know, will blame it on certain things, but we, it's a, it's really tricky and vulnerable to even uncover that deeper level pain, the root issues, and especially with various stakeholders. Um, so I like what Eric just said, like make it safe. And honestly, telling the story of that middle, that middle state mm -hmm. where these are the challenges, these are the, 
the dragons that we are slaying and this is that the, these are the struggles that other clients are facing can kind of normalize some of those issues and i think that if we can um provide our champions and various stakeholders with the opportunity to tell their story and to really paint the picture of where they're what they're doing today because so many times i see champions are they have a hard time pushing back when very senior stakeholders say like i don't understand why that's such a big issue and so if we can actually give them the the words the stories to and and show that those stories are normal that pain those challenges are extremely normal and how other companies worked through them and the results that they saw by actually focusing on them and solving them it can be an incredible way to maximize value yeah and i'm going to kind of lean into julian's question on the right y'all can see it so what he's saying is how to basically be technical and creative at the same time uh, last week on our shift we talked about demo and diagnosis how those are two different states of mind essentially two different conversations but you can weave them together julian and one of the ways that i do that is to not make assumptions but to throw up ideas meta stories if you will and let the other folks fill in the technical data for me i'm sure that megan can kind of help you a little bit with how to create a framework that your champion and other stakeholders start to fill in but as lisa palmer a friend of the shift would say you've got to do your research right you've got to know what these roles really mean what their goals are what their business challenges are and what their business uh, outcomes are because as much as we use the phrase nursery rhymes, which is kind of a nice metaphor, there is a lot of real business interest in mind here. Uh, and so your goal is to translate, if you will, the technical data into a human narrative that's filled with emotion and intrigue and mystery. I'm sure that Megan can help you. Uh, and then Trent can also help you, Julian, if you want to start building a library of stories that you can easily move from sales to success, for example. Uh, so we're going to move quickly into our next slide as we move through to the to the final 10 minutes. Uh, let's see what we are asking our audience to do, which is essentially listen for business value. I think at the end of the day, uh, Art Jones would say the first thing a really good storyteller is listening. Uh, he or she wants to know what the data quality, the workflows are like. Maybe it's reporting and analytics, systems integration. One of those key areas is gonna be a little bit more constrained, if you will. There's gonna be a bigger bottleneck that limits efficiency than others. I find often companies have problems in all four areas, but maybe it's the reporting and analytics. It takes two days to compile data and you need to make a decision yesterday. Well, let's focus on that. You know, We know that the workflow is also an issue, but pick one. Uh, Megan, do you find that that's true, that there's multiple kind of areas of concern and you have to start to stack rank and, and prioritize so that you can know which stories to tell and why? Yeah, so even before, like, I think what you said about active listening is so important because so many times, especially with new sellers as they're honing their pitch, they're just, you can see it when you see them on calls. They're listening but they're really just thinking about what they're going to say next and how they're going to get through the pitch quickly so that they can tell you about their products. And it's so funny because when we um, we actually do um, onboarding checkpoints where we're role playing discovery calls with them. And one of my favorite pit tr uh, tricks is to kind of knock them off the rocker a little bit with like a harder question 
and then give them a nugget of like a really valuable metric or goal or something, most of the time they miss that because they're so focused on trying to control the conversation. And so one thing I think we can do to make it really easy, um, as Trent mentioned, if you know the elements of the story, AKA, if you're also like using a deal qualification framework, you need to uncover metrics, economic buyer, all of these things, the characters, the, the if you actually just even organize your notes and your discovery questions with, with that, and by the way, start with the value first, then it can actually help you uncover more of those things later. And so as you're going through the conversation, you're not worried about what slide you're on, right? If you start with value and if they're telling you value, you can actually make it really easy to just write that down in the right in the right place. And you don't feel pressure to move on. You can really dig deeply into it and know that you're uncovering value. Yeah, so Shuja is saying understand, diagnose, prescribe. I think we all feel that way when I'm actually in the field, the impulse to solve the problem is so intense. It's like I'm gripped, right? I'm like, oh, but I think we have to train ourselves like mountaineers who are approaching the summit that maybe we need to look back and make sure that everybody else on our team is also going to approach the summit rather than be the first to the top and wave the flag. So really take a step back and make sure that all the stakeholders are on board and they understand the narrative. They understand the big shift that's going to take place together as a team, not just you and your internal champion. Uh, I think the more we can start to articulate that with templates and libraries, the easier it is going to be to collaborate and start to really solve problems, not just pitch products and services. Yeah, and I think the, the important thing um, to recognize is, again, when going back to the, the analogy we, we, we've been using, it's really easy to, to be like, hey, do you want to go on a hike today? And you're like, yeah, yeah, let's let's start. And when you actually get to several hours into the hike, you're like, maybe we should just stop and go back. But if you actually take the time to uncover deep, meaningful pain through stories and everyone agrees that the castle is burning and we can't go back and we must move forward. And I think that's a really good way to ensure that um, everyone is on the same path. Everyone's bought in. So there's no options. Right. We have to move forward. And yeah, that's 100 percent. I think you've nailed it right there. Um, that together we have to move forward. So thank you, Megan, for calling that out. All right, has a quick question. An analogy and metaphor sometimes in place of a longer story. Absolutely, Art. We're gonna pull you in to another shift to explore that. We're kind of down to our last five minutes. Um, and I have a case study, which we may skip, but for the audience, it's in your slide deck, uh, which is essentially the stakeholder value story, how to do more with less. Um, I wanna actually jump to the next slide, which is what stories audience are you going to tell? Uh, take a moment here to use the HTML editor, now the uh, text editor on the right, jot down some aha moments. Uh, we want you to really define next steps for you because it's important that you internalize what it is we're trying to explain, even if it's just drawing a picture on a whiteboard. If that's all you do today, that's an aha moment. If you take one of these little frameworks that I've added at the top of the, you know, the Pixar pitch, and you start to marry that to some marketing content or maybe infuse that into your sales deck, that would be an aha moment. And I can tell you, it's gonna feel awkward. It's gonna feel weird. <laughs> don't overwork it, don't overthink it. Reach out to Megan and reach out to Trent and, and possibly myself 
if you want to start to elaborate how to build up these skills. So with about five minutes to go, it's a good time to kind of shift the focus back to our special guests and give them an opportunity to kind of tell us what they're looking forward to and where we can find you online. We'll start with you, Megan. Um, where can we find you online? Can you share your, say, LinkedIn URL with us? Yeah, so um, I, uh, I'm i just going to post my, my website quickly and I'll post my LinkedIn as well. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, what, I, is, what is it that you're actually doing? I know that you're a sales strategist. <laughs> Uh, is there some part of the funnel that you're very specific or do you tend to do top funnel, you know, full funnel? Where do you find your sweet spot? Go ahead. Yeah. So um, my my company, the Path to Presidents Club, we focus on B2B sales teams of between five and 50. Usually they're series A through C. Either you've gone through a round of funding or you're preparing for a round of funding and you're either looking to increase close rates and predictability or um, increase your average contract value or scale your team rapidly. And you need the frameworks and the act, not only the inspiration and the training and the ideas, but also the implementation and the execution. And that's where I come. Oh, I love that. Okay, so you're helping to execute. You're not just defining a methodology. You're really going in and you probably use metrics to measure lift, is that correct? Yeah, so um, one of my favorite frameworks for deal qualification, we um, I implemented it within three or four companies this quarter, but last quarter um, in my full-time role, we implemented it in Q3 2019. By the end of the quarter, we had actually increased our close rates within um, the B forecast, which is basically the deals that could close but likely will slide. We increased them by 36%, and so we beat our best-in-case goal by millions of dollars. So it was okay. a great way. I'm happy to do it for other companies. Fantastic. Do me a favor, drop your LinkedIn profile as well, because I know you're posting great content more or less every day. You've got some great articles. Trent, how can we find you online as well? Yeah, LinkedIn is always a good spot. I'm actually paying a lot more attention to my Twitter account these days as well. I like the uh, removal of the professional veneer that uh, the Twitter ecosystem allows, a lot less uh, pontification and platitudes there. Um, so Twitter as well, I'll put both links. Um, and then also at prewrite.com. Um, your first story is always free at prewrite and we have a, a annual subscription discount uh, that I'm happy to provide anybody who reaches out to me directly on either of those channels. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing about storytelling uh, is it's pervasive across all media, right? So right now we're talking about it in the context of, of sales and and uh, opportunity and, and deals, uh, but it also exists in in video and podcasts. Christian Altuve, who's on with us here, is a video marketer and an outstanding one at that. If you've ever seen uh, Chris Walker's work uh, from Demand Gen Live, uh, Christian did a lot of work with him. Um, and Christian uses it, uses PreWrite to help plan and, and tell stories for, for his marketing clients too. So um, we're getting into the podcast game as well. So basically anything that requires structure um, should be structured utilizing PreWrite. And uh, we're continually building out our libraries so uh, people can kind of grab and go off the shelf and, and immediately realize themselves in, inside of a, a storytelling media. So to me, if you ever drop some links in there. Yeah. Um, and audience, please drop your links as well. Christian, Art, uh, Eric, you know, we want to create a community. Um, and so we'd love to hear, you know, from the audience so we can connect with you. Before we do that, um, Megan, I'm going to ask you 
Uh, we've got about two, three minutes. Is it okay if we go over just a few minutes? Do you have a couple extra minutes? Yeah, I'm good. I think I'm good. So we'll keep it short and sweet, but just to kind of wrap up, um, what was one of the highlights or takeaways from you today that you would like our audience to you know, remember tomorrow? Honestly, if you can work in value drivers to your sales process, so if you're able to um, tell the story, for me, it's the easiest way to, to do it, to say, hey, we work with some of the world's best brands, including X, Y, and Z. Why they work with us is because they see value. And that value typically fits within three main buckets. First, they're looking to automate. Then they're, they're looking to streamline the customer experience. And ultimately, all of it goes back to revenue. It's a really easy way to um, uncover more value and especially um, build more pain, realize that the castle is burning. So it's an easy way to, um, to ultimately close more deals. I love it. That's fantastic. And so we can look forward to seeing you on LinkedIn, uh, future events like this. And of course, moving into 2021, you'll be working with teams that you've uh, referred to earlier, the Series A, B, C teams. Fabulous. Trent, how about you? What's something that really stood out? And then I'll do kind of a final uh, for you that our audience can start to really uh, latch onto. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think the the con the convergence of the diagram that you put together, right? At first one, we were talking value, drivers, and stories. Uh, even even myself, I was like, okay, how are we going to mesh these two things together? But when you start to really unpack uh, the expertise of someone like Megan, you see how closely aligned both of those activities are. And ultimately, what this is all about is driving uh, outcome uh, for, for your account, right? So um, I think whether it's a stepwise approach or, or done uh, in concert, I think the idea of, of value and a story just goes so, so well together. Fantastic. And I'm going to share a very special treat with our audience. I just decided uh, to share this little video library that I created called Stories in Focus, which is a series of five-minute interviews uh with b2b marketing and sales leaders who are actually doing exactly what we talk about um, and so this is a follow-up for folks who want to continue to layer on the experience uh, go ahead and take a look at these five minute interviews have a cup of coffee when you do because that's what it's designed for and really start to take chances if you will to co-create that story with your internal champion i think you will find they will be very receptive to working with you, especially if you show up with kind of a blank canvas with a couple of ideas like I did with Megan and Trent and got them to kind of tell me what's important. It's a really good feeling to collaborate and to create this path for mutual growth together. Uh, and I think that collaboration is something we're going to lean into next year with our series, which we call Collaborate for Growth. So I'll be reaching out to all of you uh, to inform you and get your ideas about how we can all collaborate for growth in Q1 2021. Megan, thank you so much for taking some time to share your expertise. I love what you're doing on LinkedIn. I can't wait to learn more from you, Trent. I'm going to dive into pre-write pretty much ASAP because I feel like I've got a story after today that needs to be told. And thank you for just helping our audience really understand the power of story with regards to engaging their stakeholders. Thank you, guys. Conversation. I feel like I learned a lot. Appreciate Have a great Great winter afternoon, a great holiday, everybody. Audience, we will see you as the shift moves towards collaboration in 2021. And have a great rest of your evening. Take care. Bye, y'all. See you guys. Bye-bye.